Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's daily podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. Good morning, everyone. My name is Rebecca Chen, and I'm a partner with Ready & Newman. I'll be conducting the conference today. Um, If you are just joining us, uh, there is a link in the chat where you can fill out your question, and we'll be uh, calling on people in the order of that Google Sheet. Um, Shruti, can you start our first question? Sure. Naman? Yeah, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, so uh, I'll read out from what I've written. Uh, I'm employed with the startup in India, and uh, the the startup has recently opened an office in New Jersey, and they are considering uh, to send me to US on an L1B, which is a specialized knowledge visa, but they don't have a legal team or a lawyer yet because they're, you know, these guys are startups. So the p- company is ready to provide letters, document, fees, etc., needed for the filing. But would it be okay for me as the candidate uh, myself to find a lawyer and facilitate whatever is required by the lawyer or someone else in the company needs to uh, reach out to a lawyer? And what is the fee that you charge for the filing of the L1B? Yeah, so the L1 is a company-sponsored application. So ultimately, it is up to the company um, who they use as an attorney for the case. Um, if If they aren't already working with someone, um, you can always, as the employee suggests, someone to the company, but um, the company is not obligated to, you know, go with um, your suggestion necessarily. But um, yeah, definitely you could recommend um, a firm to them if they are ready to proceed, but just haven't uh, contacted an attorney yet. Um, for our fees in particular, um, you would need to have the company reach out to us and then um, we could uh, send them that information privately. They have actually uh, assigned me saying that, you know, if it's okay, you can go ahead and do okay. all the work. Sure. So, so in that yeah. case, what's the fees structure would be? So we can't talk about it here on this public mm-hmm. call. So mm-hmm. It will need to be through email. Okay. Um, I will put my email address here in the chat and um, you can email me to put me in touch with the company and discuss with them in more detail. Okay. Okay. Got it. Thank you so much. Sure. Sai Hitesh. Yeah. Hi. I, 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 I have submitted the question via mm-hmm. the yeah, so the only way to have the H-4 EAD premium processed is if it is submitted concurrently with an H-1B that is being submitted in premium processing. So the H-4 and EAD on their own cannot um, be premium processed. Um, for you, do you have an H-1B? Oh, it says you have one year left for the extension. 
Um, it really depends on your company then in that situation. If the company is willing to file the extension early for you, um, for if they file, they could technically file an extension now. Normally, the filing window for an extension is six months prior to your current expiration date. But if they are amending some terms of your employment, for example, if they are amending your salary or amending some of your job duties, they can file the amendment at any time and request the extension at the same time. So um, that has been one method that a lot of people have been using to in order to file an H-1B extension early and therefore get the H-4 EAD submitted in premium processing. But that really depends on your company and their willingness to, um, to do the amendment plus extension now rather than waiting until next year. Okay, like, can I only file H1 amendment without H1 extension? Yes, you can, um, but it will, basically, if you file an amendment only, then you will, um, the end date on the H1B, H4, and EADs, the end date on that will be your current end date, which is about a year from now, like 2024. Um, right. If your spouse does not yet have an EAD card and they just mostly want to get an EAD card in order to start working, then that might be fine. You know, just doing the amendment because it's cheaper for the company also. And um, and it, you know, gets your spouse um, an EAD, even if it's only valid for one year. And then it can be renewed next year. Um, but it would probably be more efficient to request the full three years right now, just so um, you and your spouse could get the full three years on your H-1B and the EAD. Okay. Uh, one more question. Uh, my spouse has to be stay in U.S. until uh, she receives a H-4 EAD receipt? Uh, no, not necessarily. Um, if it's an extension, if she's in H-4 status now um, mm -hmm. and she's filing the H-4 extension, then she can travel while the extension so is pending? No, it's not extension for H-4 EAD application. Oh, it would be a change of status for her? No, no, no. She's on H-4 visa. So she will travel okay. to US only to file H4 EAD. After filing, uh, uh, she will go back to India. But she okay. can go back to India until she receives H4 EAD receipt, or she, she has to stay until she gets the H4 EAD receipt. No, it's not necessary to stay in the US um, to get the receipt notice. Yeah, so she could depart once the application is filed. She does need to be physically in the US at the time. USCIS receives the application, and I'd probably recommend staying a few days after that, just in case. It would be safest maybe to wait for the receipt notice, just so you make sure it's properly filed, so she doesn't need to make another trip if there was something wrong with the filing, but um, it's not absolutely necessary. Okay, okay next question. Murali Krishna? Yeah, hi. Uh, hi, Debka. Uh... So I, I have given uh, my case details in the Google form. Can I reiterate one more time here? Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, hey, actually, basically, I was uh, I am working with one Indian-based company, and uh, I traveled to Canada on ICD visa. But um, for the fiscal year twenty twenty-three cap, H uh, one B was raised with another company, and it was approved. And I got the visa as well, but uh, it was revoked on 29th August, August 2023. Uh, here, I would I have three questions. 
he in this case if my 797b petition revoked by uscs can i still transfer to the other employer or no so this approval was this h1b approval was for a registration that was done in march of this year like about 6 months ago yes okay and it was approved then it was revoked in august so it yeah. never went into effect um yeah unfortunately you cannot transfer in that situation um you would you're considered not counted in the in the lottery actually so in order to be eligible for another h1b um a company will need to file for you in next year's lottery and you would need to get selected again okay so um st still my 797b is in uh, approved state at this moment you mean on the case uscis case status website it says it's approved yes yes okay we that doesn't mean anything necessarily uscis is not very good at updating that case status but if they have revoked it then it's considered revoked no matter what the website says okay then then in that case i can't transfer this 797b to any other new employer if, if i get a chance no. okay okay thank you thank you so much sure asmat yeah hello rebecca so hi. i have a question yeah hi uh, i have a question regarding the concurrent h1 and the perm filing with the with the client so okay. currently i work for a client uh, on a full time basis and uh, uh, i got an offer from other employer who is ready to sponsor a concurrent h1 uh, okay. but uh, at the same time the end client is going to file a, a perm and uh, green card processing in the month of march and uh, so i was just checking about the possibilities like what would be the possibilities and uh, problems in, if i go with this route so during the employment history do i need to provide my concurrent h1 details also technically uh, yes yeah so are you are you thinking to if possible keep your concurrent employment um like confidential from your yep. current full-time employer yes okay um let's see it may not be possible um during the perm process because yeah, during the perm process, there is a section of the perm form, and usually at the beginning of the process, the company's attorney will ask for your full work history because they need to be able to determine, you know, what what they can use to qualify you for the sponsored position. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Yeah, it's a bit of a gray area um, because technically, yeah, the perm is a company-sponsored uh, application, and so the attorney is representing the company, the PERM-sponsoring company, for purposes of that. So even if you only told the attorney what your work history was, uh, I'm not sure that they could necessarily keep it confidential from the company. The company would be able to review the whole PERM form, which would have your work history yep. on it. Oh. Um, yeah, so it may not be possible to keep it confidential from your from your company, the concurrent employment. Okay. So even if I, what are the implications if I just put it as a uh, like a confidential in that case? Like because it's related to the Department of Labor and USCIS, right? And it's a part time employment; it's not a full time employment too. Mm -hmm. So 
do I still need to be revealing that because I technically we don't know how many hours I work and uh, it's uh, that. Oh, sorry. I think he got muted somehow. Um, let's see. Shruti, can you sorry, unmute? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I got it. All right. Okay. So, since it's a, the labor is more related to the uh, Department of Labor, right? Like, do they check, like, employment history of a candidate? Uh, they could. Um, well, not so much the Department of Labor, but what we've seen sometimes is, uh, for some reason, the consulates have occasionally used a PERM work history and compared it with people's um, GS-160 work history when they're applying for, like, a renewal of an H-1B visa or something like that. And um, occasionally, not very often, and we would see this more, I think, under the Trump administration. But um, yeah, we had sometimes seen the consulates um, calling out discrepancies between the work history listed on the PERM form and the work history listed on their DS-160 when they were going for visa stamping. So that's mm -hmm. why we try to keep the work history as consistent as possible. It is possible. So technically, the way the PERM form is phrased is that they only require you to list the prior employment that is um, being used to qualify you for the position. Um, mm -hmm. It is possible that you have prior history that wouldn't, you know, that is sufficient without needing this part-time concurrent employment um, to be listed, but you would probably only be able to determine that by talking with the attorney um, okay. who's working on the perm. Okay. So that's why yeah. I'm not sure that they, if you ask them to keep it confidential, you can try that. But um, unless you have a, an agreement with the attorney personally to where they're representing you personally for purposes of the perm, um, technically there isn't anything that would guarantee that they wouldn't let your current employer know. Oh, okay. Got you. So and one, one more one more last thing on this one on the concurrent h1 replica so is there in any way that uh, when when we work on another employer employer and uh, if they run a pay stubs or w2 or anything like that is the primary company will come to know like no. by to any means of way yeah. no yeah unless you disclose it to them they wouldn't okay. your current company wouldn't be notified okay got it. Yeah. Uh, next question Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for taking Hi. my call. Sure. Uh, you have filled out the Google Sheet. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. So uh, during their prior 10 years of having the visitor visa, was there any situation where they stayed longer than the six no. months? Okay. Not even like filing a, a B2 extension? Uh, no. They got okay. a 10-year visa twice. So this time I missed... Uh, extending. So okay. it will be a new application, right? Uh, yes. So, yeah. Sorry, I can't hear you very well, but um, it would be a renewal of the visitor visa. So technically, I think they can go on the, um, the DOS website. It may qualify for the Dropbox. I don't remember if the B2, no, I don't think the B2 would qualify for the Dropbox necessarily. Um, yeah, so they may need to just apply for a, a new B2 visa. Um, but if they have never had any problems with overstaying um, their visits here in the US, um, then it shouldn't 
be too much of a problem to get the visitor visa again. Okay, and uh, can I use uh, the EAD document instead of H-1B? Oh, to show your employment in the, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I lost my, should I be providing I-485 too? Because you can, yeah, because that's the basis of the EAD. I lost my receipt notice, but I have the receipt number. Okay, uh, you can go to the case status website and do a printout of that that shows that it's pending. Um, or if you used an attorney for the I-485 application, the attorney should have a copy of the receipt notice on file, so you could reach out to them. Yeah, I did not use, so, uh, so the printout of case status should be enough? Yes, yeah, that should be fine. And while uh, adjustment of status, I will not have any issues, right, because of not having receipt notice? No, um, yeah, no, there isn't really any situation. Although I would say if you're traveling and using the advanced parole, we usually recommend that you have the I-485 receipt notice. So you may want to request a replacement notice. If you go to the USCIS e-service request, I believe one of the options is to request a replacement notice or request a notice that went lost. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Sure. Sandeep? Hey, Rebecca, uh, this is Sandeep. Uh, my question is related to uh, amendment. Uh, okay. I have uh, H-1B extended uh, this year. And uh, that time I was working with a client uh, who was in New York, but I work remotely. And uh, now that contract is ended and I'm going to get into a new contract. Okay. Do you think that I will need to sub submit an H-1B amendment for this kind of a situation because I'll be working remotely, but uh, the client address will be different? So your physical work location is not changing? No, it's not changing. And it is okay. it is mentioned in my LC as an address too. As your home address? Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say if you don't have plans to renew an H-1B visa at the consulate anytime soon, then an amendment is not needed. So an amendment is only needed when your physical work location is changing to a different MSA. Um, However, the consulates, for whatever reason, have kind of an additional requirement where they usually want to see the most recent contract work order and client information in the most recent approved application. So our recommendation is usually that if you will be going for visa stamping soon, if even if your physical work location hasn't changed, if there has been a change in the client project, it is probably best to have an amendment filed before you make your um, visa appointment. Okay, yeah. So I, actually I'm planning to go to India for, uh, so in that case, I think I need to go for amendment. Now the next question is, uh, if amendment is pending, can I travel? Um, yes, technically, but if, do you need to apply for a visa before you come back? Yes, I'll have to go for stamping. Okay, well, um, so you can travel technically while an amendment is pending, but you will need the amendment to be approved before you can go to the visa interview. So it's probably best if it's approved anyway before you travel. So I would probably recommend having it filed in premium processing. Okay, gotcha. Thanks, Elbeka. Thank you so sure. much. Sure.
Mohamed. Hi, Rebecca. Thank Hi. you for giving this opportunity. So uh, my question is, uh, I'm actually on a student visa and uh, my wife, she's also came to United States on a student visa two months ago. So we got married uh, and we did not register. We married according to our traditional you know, custom, but we did not register. So now that we wanted to register our marriage and apply for my uh, wife to be on my dependent. So if I register right away, right now, it's been two months she came to United States. So will there will be a, a problem for me? Um, when you meet, when you say your marriage isn't registered, do you have a marriage certificate? No, that's what I'm telling. If I just go Okay. and register right now and apply for the dependent visa, F2. So will there be a problem for? Probably you need to provide a marriage certificate. Um, so. No, sorry, uh, I cannot portray uh, uh, good. But what I'm saying is I'll just uh, go ahead and apply for the marriage certificate and then apply for the dependent visa. Okay. So my question is, she just came in here on student visa. Now she is moving on to uh, dependent visa, F2. So will there be any problem after No, submitting? as long as the marriage certificate is submitted with the F2 change of status application. So she'll need to also get an F2 I-20. So Yeah. you'll contact your school DSO and get an I-20 for her as an F2 dependent to submit along with the I-539 application. But if you submit the I-539 application um, with the yeah, marriage certificate and the I-20, it should be fine. Um, if she, I mean, I know there's that 90 day rule, but um, I mean, was she, has she been in, has she been in school since she got here? Oh, this Has yeah. she been She is maintaining in her F1 status? yes. She is maintaining her phone status. Okay. She school. Everything is uh, good, normal. But my question is, uh, it's she just came to United States on August twenty, so it's not been ninety days. So if I register now or before ninety days, that's what my question was. Um, I don't think there will be that much, too much of a problem. If you want to be safe, you can wait 90 days because it's almost 90 days anyway. But really, the 90 day rule is meant for uh, a situation where you're entering on a visa that is meant to be temporary only and you are applying for like permanent residence, like applying for a green card within 90 days of landing in the U.S. on a B2 or an F1 or something like that. That's when the 90 day rule is more important. But for this, she's just switching from an F1 to an F2, which are both temporary visas. I don't see too much problem, but if you want to, you can wait 90 days to be safe. Okay, so uh, for applying for the dependent visa, do I have to hire an attorney or no? Um, it's up to you. It can be done on online. Um, so if you are doing it on your own, um, the USCIS online portal is pretty good for walking you through it and it shows you where to upload the documents. Um, but if you want to use an attorney, you can. If you use an attorney, they can't file online. Um, they would have to file by paper. Um, so it might take a bit longer to get the receipt notice because then it'll only come through the mail. But if the if timing isn't too much of an issue, which it doesn't sound like it is in your situation, then you know filing by mail with an attorney should be fine also. Okay.
right, thank you. Sure. Ready? Hi, Rebecca. Um, I just wanted to inquire, similar to H-1B, if when you have an EAD, you can apply for a Cochrane job. Is that possible for an L1A visa? Yes. Yeah. So, well, so you have an approved EAD based on a pending I-485 application. That's Is that correct. right? Okay. Yes. Okay. So, um, so you have an L1A visa right now. Um, the if you're planning to maintain L1 status, then you are only authorized to work for your L1 sponsoring company only. Um, but if you decide to no longer use the L1 status and just move on to using the EAD, you can use the EAD to, of course, continue working for your current company. But the EAD is a lot more flexible since it allows you, in addition to take on second, third, however many jobs on the side that you want to. And those other jobs don't need to be necessarily in the same field as your approved I-140. Um, you know, it can be anything on the side. You could start your own business um, using the EAD on the side. The only thing you have to make sure of is that you are still, while using the EAD, that you still have one full-time job that is in the occupation that was listed on your I-140. That is required to kind of maintain your I-485 um, and keep it pending. But then on the side, using the EAD, you could take on any other job. Okay, thank you so much, Rebecca. Sure. Mm -hmm. Hi, Rebecca. I posted my question uh, in the in the Google form. Mm -hmm. So do, do I need to repeat, okay. basically? Yeah, so... Um, what was your last date of employment with your prior company? Um, that is 13, um, last Friday. Okay. Um, let's see. Did you already file for the B2 before no, last not, Friday? Uh, not yet. Uh, basically, I am still in the grace period. My last working day was um, 13th of this month. Okay. So grace your period, 60 so days would be like December 13th. Yeah, correct. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the company um, applied for H1 and my wife and daughter, H4. Uh -huh. But in between, they laid me off. So, yeah, so they will probably be uh, withdrawing um, the H1B yeah. and that will automatically kind of withdraw the H4 applications. Um, yeah, well, the probably the smoothest route would be if you are able to find a company to do an H-1B transfer before December 13th. Um, mm -hmm. That would be best since then your um, your family wouldn't need to do any change of status either. They would stay in H-4. Um, but, I mean, they would need to file an H-4 extension along with your H-1B transfer if you do find another job offer in the next couple of months. Um, but if it looks like that's not going to, um, or it's going to take longer than 60 days, then yes, the B2 has been um, a good option for people in a similar situation. You would just need to make sure the B2 applications are filed for each of you, and um, they would need to be filed before the, six, the end of the 60-day grace period. Um, you wouldn't necessarily get a new I-94 right away. Um, the thing with the B2 application is that it 
there's no premium processing option and it takes several months to process. It will likely be pending more than six months actually. So really the point of applying for the B2 is to get the I-539 receipt notice to show that you applied for something before the end of the 60 day grace period. And that pending B2 application is what would keep you in a period of authorized stay beyond December 13th. And during that time, you can continue to interview for new jobs. And when there is a company um, that is willing to file the H-1B for you, they would file your H-1B application as a change of status from B2 to H-1B. Um, if they can okay. file it in premium processing, that would be best so that you can start working as soon as the application is approved. Um, so it's very likely that the B2 applications won't um, won't be approved before. I mean, hopefully you get the H1B change of status filed before that six months. Um, mm -hmm. And what UCS has been doing is approving the B2 and the new H1B at the same time, like processing both at the same time. Um, so around that time, you would eventually get the B2 approval. But at the same time, you'd get the H-1B approval, which would put you in H-1B status. Um, and then I know you asked about your daughter. Yeah, this has been kind of a gray area because technically people coming as tourists on a B-2 visa are not supposed to be attending school. Um, they're supposed to like move to an F-1 visa in order to enroll in school. It's a bit more of a gray area. So is your daughter, in, so she's not in college, right? Is she in She's, uh, yeah, she's in high school. She's in okay. high school, public school. Yeah, I know we have had people um, just keep their kids in school, even, you know, when they apply for a B2. I guess technically, because they're not in B2 status yet, you know, mm. the, the filing of the I-539 keeps them in a period of authorized stay, but they're not actually in B2 until it's approved. So kind of based on that reasoning, we have generally said that um, for primary or secondary school students, it sh should be fine for them to continue to go to school. And we haven't really seen pushback from USCIS on that. I I think it would, I mean, they made this sort of provision for the B2 for people in the situation that were unexpectedly laid off and still looking for a job. I don't think mm -hmm. they would require you to pull your children out of school for you know an indefinite period of time. Okay. To okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. Okay. Um. Sorry. We will need to end the conference here for today. Um. If we weren't able to get to your question, the next conference will be tomorrow afternoon at three thirty Central Time. Um. And you can also uh. There's a link in the chat where if you would like to speak one on one with any of our attorneys, you can make an appointment there. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.